Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. As always, we're broadcasting from the studios in Antigua. Tonight is a wet Tuesday evening, but we are excited that you are tuned in and listening to this episode of That's Truth. I'm Nathan Owens, and sitting across the desk from me, as usual, is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Uh, Good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening to those who might be listening to the program. Before we jump into our topic, or continue our topic of forgiveness, which we began last week, Pastor, we have two questions that have come in since the end of last episode. The first one says, God forgave Cain when he murdered Abel. Can you explain? I don't know if there's anything to explain. I just think that God was being merciful to Cain. Remember that you only had Adam and Eve, and then you had Cain and Abel. So only four people on planet Earth. And I think this was a demonstration of his mercy and his kindness to Cain. Um, But God is sovereign. And there are times when, uh, for example, I mean, God forgave David. I mean, um, under normal conditions, David should have been killed. And uh, Bathsheba also should have been stoned. So there are occasions in the scriptures where God acts in mercy and in grace. And that just shows you what a compassionate God that he is. In the case of Cain, uh, he thought maybe that uh, there was some redemptive aspect to Cain's life. And he told Cain, you know, if you, you know, where your face cast down, if you do right, your whole feelings will change. Uh, so I think it was an act of mercy, and I don't think there's any other explanation than grace and mercy being extended to somebody who has fallen and committed an error. You believe the Bible teaches uh, capital punishment? Oh, yeah. The Bible does teach capital punishment. As a matter of fact, the, after chapter 9 in the book of Genesis, because remember there was no, there's no government in Adam and Eve's case. They doesn't want the individual to take vengeance. But in, in, Acts, in, the, sorry, in Genesis chapter 9, after the flood, uh, directive is now given that who sheds man's blood, by man's blood should be shed. And the reason why it is done because man was made in the image of God. Now those who are opposed to capital punishment say, but if man is made in the image of God, then why does God um, give the right to take life? But the answer is that's exactly what he did because because man is made in the image of God, God so values man that if another man dares to take another man's premeditatingly, not talking about accidentally or manslaughter, but if a person premeditatively take another person's life, that person forfeits their own life. And then in Romans, Paul says that the government does not bear the sword in vain. And um, even on the on the on the on the cross, um, when our Lord was there, uh, the man said, "We justly deserve what we're getting." And our Lord never made any complaint about that. I'm not a thief on the cross. He said, but right. this man has done nothing to deserve this. So I think there's no question about it, that whether in the Old Testament or the New Testament, capital punishment for 
premeditated murder, deliberate murder. Um, but there are in the New, there are in the New Testament, in the Old Testament as well. There were certain um, mitigations that were made in respect to people who killed people accidentally or what you call manslaughter. But capital punishment is biblical, is scriptural. What would you say to the individual who says, how can you believe God teaches capital punishment, but yet he didn't enact that when Cain killed Abel? Well, again, not in every case does a person kill somebody and uh, the person is spared. Take governors, for example, in the States. Governors have a right to pardon uh, capital offenders. That's their prerogative. God is sovereign and God chose to do that. I don't, I mean, nobody can explain why immediately. Uh, uh, by the way, there was no law then uh, specifying that murder was wrong. Quite frankly, there was no law then. Law came um, in the time of Moses. So I just think it was because of the circumstances of the situation, uh, God again exp- uh, displaying his sovereignty and displaying his grace and his mercy uh, to Cain. I think that this was showing two sides of God. He's a sovereign God, he's all powerful God, but he's a merciful God. And uh, it's interesting that the capital offense is where he demonstrated uh, his compassion and his mercy and his grace in that, in that aspect. Thank you to the listener who sent in that question from Trinidad. Pastor Now, a WhatsApp question from Antigua. Can you forgive a person and not speak to them again? Um, I think if you are, are in that state, I, I'm not too sure that you've really forgiven the person, to be honest with you. I can see you uh, forgiving a person and not want to have a very close relationship. That is understandable. But I think that can change over time as well. But to actually say that, you know, I forgive you, but I'll never speak to you again, I think there's an indication there that there's not real forgiveness. I think there's resentment there. I think there's bitterness there. And uh, I don't think that that person is really, truly uh, forgiven. Remember, we, we talked about the fact that in Scripture, it's not just about forgiveness, It's about after forgiveness, building what is called a bridge of reconciliation. So two things have to happen. uh, When there is a problem, normally you have the matter of some kind of resentment. And resentment has to be replaced with peace. And the other thing that happens when you have those kind of problems is what you call separation or there is alienation between the two individuals. That should be restored with fellowship. So I don't think there's any... um, in any way that a person can say that I've truly forgiven that person and never uh, ever want to speak to them again. That shows, quite frankly, there's still bitterness there, there's still anger there, there's still resentment there, and it shows you that really, in truth, there's not uh, forgiveness. However, as I pointed out, I can see a person forgiving a person but not want to restore an immediate close relationship. But again, you should always, the goal should be that somehow that relationship improves over time. And I think what happens to change your attitude towards that person has to do with the person's actions, what the Bible calls fruit unto repentance. When you see the person is really repentant and the person is really sorry for whatever has happened and is making amends by practical, in practical ways, when that begins to happen, um, there's a responsive nature in man that um, that um, responds to that so that the feelings come back as a result of person's actions and attitudes. Do you have a question? Maybe it's about forgiveness. Maybe it's about some completely unrelated topic. We would love to hear your question and answer it from a biblical perspective. You don't even have to be a Christian or claim to be a believer. 
to call into the program. We are glad to hear your question no matter where you're calling from, no matter where you're sending your question from. We are here to answer your questions. There's a number of ways you can communicate with us. First of all, you can call and be put live on the air, 1-268-462-7420. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, send it to one 268 782-1454. You can also send your questions on Facebook. Go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page. Click on the Facebook Live video feed, and then you can comment your questions right there on your device while you watch behind the scenes and listen to the program. No matter how you are joining us tonight, we are honored that you have made time out of your Tuesday evening schedule to join us here on That's Truth. These questions that we had already thus far have are a great segue back into our topic that we began last week, that of forgiveness. Pastor, there was a lot of information discussed last week. Can you give us a brief overview of what was discussed in relation to forgiveness and what's said in the Bible? Well, I think, um, first of all, I think we, we began to look to see what the word itself meant, and we looked at uh, seven different words, four in the New Testament and three in the Old Testament. And we saw that in relation to the Old Testament, quite frankly, the key word that is used is the word about uh, pardoning or taking away um, um, and that was the key word. In the New Testament, the, the word uh, that is used has to do with uh, sending away or letting go or uh, dismissing or releasing. So the idea is not holding something against somebody and letting go of our bitterness and our resentment. That's the key idea behind bitterness in, in the Scriptures. So the other thing we talked about was the fact that there are two types of forgiveness. Of course, we talk God's forgiveness and human forgiveness, divine forgiveness and human forgiveness. And we talk about the conditions for uh, forgiveness, which has to do with repentance and um, confession. And in relation to the Christian faith, um, you need faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And uh, the other thing that we discussed at some measure has to do with uh, what about if you don't feel like forgiving. And we pointed out that it's a real um, error to equate hypocrisy with acting against your feelings. Uh, I was thinking about that a little bit more today, Nathan, that if if we had to have good feelings to forgive, how can you forgive a man 70 times 7? I mean, quite frankly, you're already upset with him. He done it once, done it twice, done it three times. But our Lord says what you do, if he did it 70 times 7, instead of uh, repent, you forgive him. So feelings are not the important thing. The important thing is uh, obedience, exercising the, the, the act of the will, and saying, you know what? I can't wait on my feelings to come. The, the, the thing about it, that once you forgive, and that person begins to change their actions and attitude, feelings are going to come. So you can't wait for feelings. So it's a matter of obedience before God when it comes to this whole matter. So we can't equate feelings with, uh, you know, if I don't feel like I, I can't forgive him. No, you you forgive it. The person said, I'm sorry, I'm repentant, whatever it is. So I think we got to understand we live by commands and we don't live by feelings. As you were just talking about feelings and that it's not hypocrisy to act against your feelings, I was thinking of exercising. So many times I need to exercise, <laughs> but yet I don't feel like it. But if I do exercise, you would never say to me, oh, you're a hypocrite yeah. because you exercise even though you didn't feel like doing it. You take that at any any level. Take church. It's not every time you feel like going to church. Right. Your Sunday morning is one of the most difficult times sometimes because for some reason— 
you want to hug the pillow an extra an extra five or ten minutes, right? Uh, think of prayer meeting. Do you, do you always got the feeling you want to go to prayer meeting? You don't always have got the feeling. Reading your Bible, do you always feel like reading your Bible? Praying, you ever feel like praying? When you when you look at it in life, quite frankly, things that are good for us, things that God requires of us, the nature or our sinful Adamic nature rebels against those things. So therefore, we're not going to get those, those lovely feelings that we would get if we're satisfying the flesh. On the other hand, we delight in those kind of things, but the things that require godliness and holiness always require some kind of discipline. So we've got to perish the idea that if we don't have feelings, somehow we're being hypocritical in what, we, what we're doing. I think we've bought into the lie of this generation, which is a feeling generation, quite frankly. And uh, but we we, we got to understand we live by the word. We don't live by our feelings. Man should not live by bread alone, not by feelings alone. Man should not live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So it's obedience to God that matters above our feelings. You referenced last week when talking about forgiveness, the concept of confession. How does that fit hand in hand with forgiveness? Well, uh, one of the preconditions um, for a person to be forgiven is that the confession is admitting. Remember, I pointed out to you that in the in the uh, Greek, the word means to agree with. Basically, uh, you're endorsing whatever God has said about your particular sin. In the case where you're confessing to a person, you admitted to the person that what you did was wrong. Uh, there are no two ways about that, and uh, that is what confession is all about. Uh, in, in both cases, in, in James, it said, confess your faults or your sins one to another. This has to do with personal confrontation. When there's an offense between two people, you, you confess that to other. In the, in the case of the prodigal son, I remember this uh, illustration used, uh, and it's talking about the, the, the man who sinned against his father, the young man. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Not only I've sinned against heaven, but sinned against you as well. Notice confession to God and confession to man. Uh, so it is it's important to understand that part of forgiveness, uh, the conditions for forgiveness is repentance and confession. Those are two biblical guidelines that help us to understand what true uh, forgiveness is all about. You're listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We're here to answer your questions, whether it be about the topic of forgiveness or some other topic that is on your mind. You can call 268-462-7420. We look forward to your interaction. If you call that number, you'll be put live on the air. If you WhatsApp or text your question to 268-782-1454, we will ask Pastor Murphy as it comes in. And you can also send in your question on Facebook Live, Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, the Facebook Live video feed. Yeah, the other thing I thought was important what we discussed last week, Nathan, is the idea of forgiving and forget. I've heard people say that all the time. When you forgive, you forget. And you're saying that's not biblical. Not only is it not biblical, it's impossible. I, I can, uh, there are people I've forgiven, but I can still remember what they did. So how am I going to forgive and forget, right? And I want to say to you that when you forgive, there's not a shock treatment that instantly wipes out your memory when you forgive. Uh, the reality is that uh, when we grant forgiveness, uh, we don't get instant forgetfulness. But if the conditions are met, the, you'll find that eventually the capacity to forgive and the pain is lessened over time, provided that the person produces what is called fruit unto repentance. So I think, you know, we need to get away from the idea that, you know, if I forgive, I forget. Now, God can do that, but we're not God. And we certainly, as human beings, uh, cannot wipe our memory of things that have happened to us. 
but we can the the pain that is there, the feelings that are there, the negative feelings, the anguish that is there, the resentment is there, can diminish over time. That we really don't feel the pain that was there before. So we we forget the 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 pain that was there. But I don't think it is possible to forget that somebody did something uh, to us. And what we need is that the person begin to change, so that feelings change and our attitude change, and therefore it lessens the pain that is there. And uh, you know we can actually it becomes a distant memory. It's no longer something that flashes before us and create these kind of problems. Pastor, a question from a listener. Jesus teaches unconditional forgiveness. In Matthew, Jesus taught that we should forgive 70 times 7, that number symbolizing boundless forgiveness. But yet, later in the Gospels, it says that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit cannot be forgiven. How do you reconcile those two? Well, I don't know how you can reconcile when you saw uh, Jesus said we must unforgive, un- unconditionally forgive uh, um, others, basically. But there is in that particular case with the Holy Spirit, you got to remember that He is dealing with people who are very religious, the, the Jewish people, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They are aware of all of His credentials. Um, they've got the prophetic writings. They've got the prophets. He's got everything. Uh, these are people who. Uh, are blinded by their own t- desire to have preeminence because these are described in the Pharisees who cannot stand the idea that they're losing control of their preeminence among the people. Christ has actually stolen the hearts of the people. They're now following him. They're talking about him. They know that he's casting out demons. They know that he's um, uh, one come from God for no man can do the things that he's doing. He's performed miracle after miracle. You just think of the miracles that he did. But again, they still cannot accept the fact that he is the Messiah. And uh, and therefore, when he casts out a demon, they're now saying that he is casting out uh, demon, demons by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's an insult to the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit is the divine person in the Trinity that brings about conviction in the life of persons before they can be saved. And an insult of that nature, our Lord said, completely determines the future destiny of the person. There is no forgiveness for that. Now, he is God, and uh, he is the one that makes that kind of a statement. How do I reconcile that with telling me that I must forgive people who sin against me? Well, that's people, you're a human being. People sin against you, but you're not sinning against the Holy Spirit, sinning against God. Uh, and in the case of the Holy Spirit, once that is done, uh, God has said that it will not be forgiven. So it's not like I, somebody sinned against me, another human. I'm a sinner sinning against another, another sinner sinned against me. This is uh, a sinner sinned against a holy God. And having the knowledge, by the way, that this one certainly is from God and deliberately, obstinately uh, trying to undermine his credentials and his credibility uh, by bringing a charge uh, against the Holy Spirit. So I don't know if it's something that needs to be reconciled. I think we just need to see what God teaches, and we need to humble ourselves to fall in line with what God teaches. And when we do find something in the Scripture that seems to conflict with uh, those kind of statements, we must all remember that we have limited understandings, and we have to remember that in eternity, a lot of these issues that create problems for us will be eliminated because there will be good, godly explanations for why these things are said and done. A WhatsApp question that's come in from Anguilla. Good night. I have a question unrelated to the topic. When a child sacrifice takes place in some cults, where do the souls of the children go? To heaven or hell, seeing that they were offered to the devil? Well, the general belief of um, Christians, um, 
fundamental Christians and Protestant Christians is that uh, all those who die as babes or young kids before the age of accountability, it's generally believed that they go for the Lord. We believe that Christ's death on the cross is sufficient to cover those people uh, who did not have a chance to be responsible for their actions. The reason for that is that they take the incident with David and his child. Uh, David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. A child was born. David was repentant, and uh, David fasted, hoping that the child would live. But in spite of David's uh, repentance and David's fasting, uh, the fact is God said, I'm going to take the child's life. And it's interesting that uh, David said after the child had died, uh, he, he will go to be with the child at some point in the future. Now remember, David is a saint. He's a, he's a, he's a believer. On that basis... Uh, the Christian church has maintained that uh, it would seem as though if David's child who was born out of adultery, adultery, uh, David is going to the same place where his child is, it would seem to indicate that that would be the place where those who are saints and those who are justified believers would go. That's the basis on which they believe that uh, the souls of children who have never had the age come to the age of accountability where they know right from wrong, that the blood of Christ and the grace of God uh, uh, would cover uh, those people who, those children who did not come to the age of accountability. That's the general belief. I believe that as well. Thank you for the listeners who have sent in your questions thus far. As we return to the topic of forgiveness, Pastor, is it possible to narrow down what causes unforgiveness to develop? I was reading a book this week um, on online and uh, the person indicated, and this is a person who's been studying forgiveness and unforgiveness now for well, almost 30 years. They're two researchers, quite frankly. And uh, he says, quite frankly, that it, it um, unforgiveness develops, and he says there's five steps to it. He said, number one, he says, there is some transgression that occurs. Number two, he says, there's a perception of the individual that whatever was done is an offense to them. As a result of that, he said, number three, emotions develop. And he said, two types of emotions develop when you are offended or hurt. Uh, he, uh, he said, number one, anger is one of those things. And I think we all do that. And the other one he said that it's very significant is fear. And the reason why uh, it's fear of if I forgive this person, it's going to happen again. So he said, those are the two main emotions that develop as a result of an offense. Anger and fear. He said that he said the fourth step that leads to unforgiveness is now you've got this anger, you've got this uh, fear within you. He said the only way that you can get this unforgiveness that you have to remunor- uh, ruminate on it again, regurgitate it, think about it, go over it, go over it in your mind. So you keep the pain alive by constantly going over it and going over it and going over it so that the resentment and the bitterness and the hostility and the hatred is never given time to subside. You just keep remunor- uh, um, ruminating over that again and again. He said when you keep doing that uh, over a long period of time, what happens is that you develop an unforgiving spirit. Those are the, the things that he, he, he pointed out there. And I think he's and reflecting on it. You cannot have an unforgiving spirit unless you're constantly rem, uh, ruminating the same thing in your mind again. Keep it 
alive, quite frankly. You're not providing to stifle it, to kill it. You're just nursing and nursing and nursing and nursing. And that leads you to having an unforgiving spirit. I think that's probably, probably the best explanation I've heard, to be very honest with you, because it, you cannot be unforgiving unless you are nursing whatever is there. If you're not nursing it and you've, you, you, you put it to, to, to death, quite frankly, you wouldn't have that unforgiving spirit. But it's just you keep bringing it up again and again and again and again and again, thinking about it, planning how you're going to get revenge, planning how you're going to get back, etc., etc. Uh, I think that is exactly precisely what causes this unforgiving spirit. The, the, the key thing here is uh, ruminating it again and again and again and again, not willing to just put it aside and say, I'm not going to think about that, not going to meditate on that, not going to muse on it, whatever it is, I'm just going to bury it and it's gone forever. So I think that makes sense to me. Makes sense to me also. What a question I have is, I think if we're all honest, at some point in our lives, for some period of time, there would be some offense that we want to set aside, uh-huh. but some random, whether it be a smell or an occurrence or something, brings it back up. And I know I've heard people say, you know, the devil's bringing something up in your mind in order for you to fester on it. But what advice do you have for the listener who says, I'm trying to set it aside, Pastor, but it just keeps coming back? How do we... I'm not too sure if you can solve that problem immediately. I would say that things trigger uh, things that have happened. Uh, you could pass a certain place and something happened to you there and you remember it. When I was a Boy Scout, I remember when I was traveling the island doing hikes I can remember places I went when I took things I shouldn't have taken, like people's guavos or people's... I remember I got a mark on my hand where I was uh, taking some cane I shouldn't have taken, and I got a mark on my hand. Every time I passed by, like, a cane field, the mark just seemed to remind me what had happened. So there are things like that that happened. And that's just a simple matter, but imagine somebody who'd been raped. Yeah. Remember somebody who's been betrayed. Remember, imagine a difficult divorce. Uh, you know, so these things. Uh, so you can't. I don't think you can actually erase it. But I think when it comes back again, I think you need to put it to rest again and just deliberately put it out of your mind. And I would say as well, um, the person who is involved that has created the problem. I think a lot has to do with if the relationship has changed between you and that person. If you've had a bad divorce, you've had a, a rape or whatever it is, uh, if that person has made any kind of amends, uh, what the Bible says, fruit unto repentance, indicated any kind of sorrow or brokenness or forgiveness, asking forgiveness, I think that does a lot to heal the person. So I think uh, if the person continues and you see the person and they're very still resentful, they've never actually apologized or not, whatever it is, I think it's very, very difficult not to remember those things. So I think the onus is on the individual who commits the act to try to change the person's attitude towards them, to be very honest, because it, it can't, it can't, our feelings change depending on the person's behavior and attitude towards us. That's how we are feelings. That's how we can change our feelings. And if that doesn't happen, I think periodically it will come back up again and again. But that person must deliberately uh, act and uh, decide not to re- keep uh, ruminating it again and again and again. But I don't think it's possible um, to completely not have something come back up 
even though you've put it by for, for a year or whatever. And then the person might have done something or said something, and it just triggered uh, whatever, and it comes back again. Well, when that happens again, you have to deliberately set it aside. Uh, I don't think you could stop yourself having these moments when you get these flashbacks and just said, there he goes again. I don't think it's possible to eliminate that altogether. If that is going to be eliminated, as I said, it depends on the offender changing your uh, feelings towards him and your disposition by his actions and his attitudes. Why should we forgive? Um, there are several things that I would um, uh, share with you why we forgive. I, I mentioned last time uh, there are some very good physical benefits to a person uh, by forgiving. I mentioned a study by John Hopkins University and the University of North Carolina uh, where they discovered that if you forgive, it lowers risk of cardio uh, problems like uh, heart attacks. It it said that uh, it can also lower your cholesterol level. It said that it can reduce insomnia. It can reduce pain. It can reduce blood pressure. It can reduce levels of anxiety and depression and so on and so forth. So from a pure physical, raw, natural reason why I should forgive is because it is healthy to forgive. If I'm, if I'm holding something and I got resentment, I, I, I heard something, uh, read something this week, and I, I was surprised that so many people knew about it. But they said that um, resentment and hate is, try, is like burning down your house to get rid of a rat. I've never heard of that before, but when I mentioned a few people, say I've heard that before, but that's a strongly statement, right, frankly. Uh, you know, um, when you have resentment and hate, and, you know, you try, you, it's like, um, that makes sense to me, you know. But why would you burn in your house to get rid of a rat, quite <laughs> frankly? It just shows you it hurts yourself more, than, more than, it, the, yeah. than, than the person. That's what it's saying. But I think that is one of the, the basic reasons. And I think last time uh, we looked at um, some Psalms where David complained about his bones hurting. And uh, I don't want to go through that again. And he's pining away. Um He's going through deep depression, et cetera, et cetera. And we mentioned that it's called psychosomatic uh, sicknesses. That, In other words, whatever is in your mind and bother you affects your body. Doctors know that. Anybody who's a nurse would know that as well. So I just think on the pure basis of physical health, um, that is one reason that we should forgive. Uh, the other thing is that forgiving others is a prerequisite for us to be forgiven. Uh, look at Matthew 6 and read it 14 and 15. Matthew chapter 6 verse 14 and 15. Those verses say, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Verse 15, But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I think that's a pretty hard verse to process, but it is very, very clear that if we have an unforgiving spirit, it simply means that God holds our account in escrow, as it were, until we get right with the person. Uh, the repercussions of that, of course, in the long term when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ might result in the, the, the loss of rewards. But a Could clear it re- uh, result in the loss of salvation? Not that you ever had it, but that a person had a very is holding on to a lot of bitterness from a previous relationship, then makes a profession of faith, 
but still has that bitterness? Do you think this verse is saying you can't be saved? No, if a person, uh, that's very, very clear. If a person is saved, they're saved eternally. Okay, no man is able to pluck them out of my hand. Quite frankly, we are those that believe to the saving of the soul, the eternity. Um, so I don't think it, it cannot mean that uh, because it will depend on how many sins do you have to have so you lose your salvation. What about one person resenting, having one resentment? Another guy got 50 resentment. Then none of us are sinless. Right. So that comes down to the boiling down to the point of how much resentment you must have before you lose your salvation. The other thing, notice he said, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. So clearly it's a relationship between the individual. God is his Father. He is his Son. And sonship doesn't change. Fellowship changes, but not sonship. But uh, it's indicating to us that our relationship with God is strained until we get uh, matters right in terms of learning to forgive others. Uh, look at Matthew five twenty three and 24 as well, Nathan. Matthew chapter five twenty three and 24 says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave thy gift before the altar and go thy way first be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift again that's a very stern verse and, but it's suggesting to you that we cannot worship God and what we present to God as, as gifts and tokens to him he said are not accepted until you get things right with uh, the person who has offended you so notice that there's no real genuine authentic worship where there is an offense that is still outstanding that's not dealt with uh, you get right with your fellow man and then you get right with God but if that is shaky quite frankly uh, he warns that it has repercussions in terms of what is acceptable to him in terms of our worship so we can be, we, can, we can try to sing a song to him or we can give a testimony but if in our heart there is hatred and there is resentment and there is ill will and there is an unforgiving spirit he says until that is taken care of your worship is not acceptable that's another reason why we should uh, try to get our hearts right with, with uh, people who have uh, offense against us. A WhatsApp question that has come in from Antigua. Thank you to the individual who sent it in. Good night, gentlemen. Pastor Murphy, you mentioned that the person who has done wrong is required to change for the feelings of the forgiver to change. If a believer forgives out of obedience before God, regardless of that person's lack of accountability or remorse, but then finds it to be a struggle with having feelings of openness towards the person. Is this normal then and not sinful before God? I don't to say but it's normal because people are different. Um, look, people have offended me, and I, I, I just brush it aside. I don't let those things kind of bother me very much. Other people, uh, they are so meticulous, and I think a lot has to do with your upbringing. A lot has to do with your experiences with other people, and also has to do with your, your lifestyle before you got saved, etc., etc. That colors everything you, in, your, in relation with other people. I, so I don't to say it is normal. I, all I was trying to emphasize here is that if there's a strained relationship between a person and uh, you've tried and the feelings are not, um, you don't have genuine, authentic feelings of forgiveness, the feelings are not there, that doesn't mean you shouldn't forgive. You forgive, quite frankly, but you're trying to deal with the feelings. Uh, I, I, what, what happens, the person that has offended you can ease your situation 
by showing what is called fruit of repentance. That's what the Bible calls for. And I think as that person's attitude towards you change and their behavior towards you change, I can guarantee you that your feelings will change towards them. The problem is when you're forgiven a person and they act as though they did nothing and they keep doing the same thing again and again, that is where I think the problem comes in uh, in, in a person. So the feelings are not, not what they should be. And that's where the onus is on the offender, quite frankly, to change that, 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 that matrix so that um, you can experience greater comfort and feel more um, at home in dealing with them on a, on, a, on a personal level. And a follow-up question from the same listener. How would you advise a believer who has forgiven someone but struggles a lot with feelings of openness towards the unrepentant person who tries to force a close relationship to happen prematurely on the basis of blood relations? I think one of the if the, now you're dealing with if you're dealing with two believers and it is very very clear that something has been done and you've said well I forgive you but then it's very clear to the other person that it's not it's not normalized. I think the time may come that you may just have to have a conversation with the person and explain to you the, the problems you're having. Um, and I don't know how what might have caused the difficulty, et cetera, et cetera. But I do know that we there are times when you need to just sit down with the person and say, listen, um, this happened some time ago, and um, I we, we forgive each other, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm still having some strain trying to normalize a relationship that is close, and here's my reason. And let them what, what it is. So the person said, but what can I do? What can I do to change that? You just say, well, listen, this is this is how I think you can help me. And if the person is genuine and do you, you know, you say, to listen, these are the things I would like you to try to do. And the person makes an effort in that direction. Uh, I think it can bring about some kind of a change. But if you leave the situation as it is, it's not going to improve. And it's going to create some kind of ill will between the two of you. So it's better that you probably try to resolve it that way. WhatsApp question from Anguilla. Is there ever a time where you shouldn't forgive? What if the person keeps mistreating you over and over? I think for conscience sake, and uh, I, I, I would say you must always have a, a disposition to forgive. I would say that. Uh, in terms of forgiving, uh, the actual forgiveness is dependent on two things. Confession and repentance. Jesus said, if the guy sinned against you 70 times 7 and come back and say you repent, you've got to give him, forgive him. But notice he's, he conditioned there is repentance. And repentance means a change of mind. It means a change of direction, a change of attitude, a change of uh, how people do things. A person who keeps doing the same thing again and again and again hasn't repented. So I think you ought to call to, uh, that person to account in that matter and said, listen, I'm willing to forgive you for, for whatever it is, but I see no indication of change in you. I see no indication of any kind of uh, uh, change in direction, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so therefore, I, 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 I can't restore a relationship with you until I see evidence of repentance. Jesus himself said, bring fruit of repentance. That's what John the Baptist called fruit of repentance. And uh, there are times when, when we should not, in my judgment, release a person of some things until there is indication of some kind of repentance and confession. Uh, merely saying, I forgive you, and the person keep doing it, is because you haven't held them to accountability. Uh, and, and by the way, they'll keep doing, not only to you, they keep doing things to other people, etc., because you, you've let them off the hook. 
in that direction. God doesn't forgive us unless we confess and we repent. You know that? I'm just answering the, the, the answer. Yeah. If God doesn't do that, and he, he puts the same standard for us. Confess your fault, your sins one to another. Father, sin against heaven and against you, basically. Uh, so I, I think that um, it's important that we, um, in forgiving, uh, understand that the person who is offended uh, need to make some kind of confession and repentance. And on that basis, we can grant forgiveness. What do you say to someone who truly wants to forgive someone but can't because they were so hurt? Not that you can't, you won't. So anything that God said you can do, you can do. If you're a Christian, uh, great is he that he is in the world. I can do all things through Christ strengthen of me. What you need to do is to make a willful decision to forgive and then eventually work towards an emotional forgiveness. Uh, and I think that's why I say to you, the feelings, you can't operate on the basis of your feelings when it comes to, to dealing with people and dealing with God. You've got to operate on the basis of obedience. God says to do it. Whether I like it or not, I do it. Uh, and then, I, of course, you've got the aid of the Holy Spirit who's in, 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 within the believer, producing the fruit of the Spirit. So he can enable you to, to develop a love for the person. You've got Christ, the living Christ, who intercedes for us on the behalf of, uh, in, in heaven for us. So we've got the Holy Spirit, and uh, we got Christ. we got the Word of God, who, which is there to guide us, to tell us what to do, etc., etc. And, of course, you have other saints who can be praying for you. So it's not that you can't. It means that you won't forgive. But as long as God tells you to do something, uh, He gives you the capacity to do it. It's just that you're confusing your feelings with the actual act of the will. Uh, Look, the Bible says, love your enemies. The word that is used there is not the word phileo, which has to have good feelings towards your enemies. The word is agape. And that means, treat your enemies as you want to be treated. Uh, That's what God expects of you. Even though you may not have the feelings towards your enemy, you still treat them as you want to be treated. That is what love is in God's sight. Feelings will come if when you treat that person as you want to be treated, their attitude and behavior change. Your feelings are going to change. God has wired us that way. And had not God wired us, I don't know where forgiveness would be possible, especially people who have been hurt uh, deeply. I was reading uh, a book, as I told you this week, of a guy who was studying forgiveness for about 30 years, researcher, two of them, and um, his mother was killed, brutally killed, by two boys with a, a crowbar, with blood spattered all over the place. And he tells his whole story, how it, uh, even though he had studied this thing for so long, when that happened, he found it hard to forgive these two, two, two persons, but he reached the point where he understood that he was either going to be a prisoner of resentment and become bitter and become damaged, or he had to release uh, and, and grant forgiveness uh, to those two, two persons who killed his parents. That's not easy, but again, it's a Christian thing to do. And uh, in some cases where the person who has done the act is repentant, are very, very sorry, and, uh, you know, they can't bring back the person. But if there's genuine sorrow and genuine repentance, it makes it easy for the person granting the forgiveness to do it. But if the person has an uh, attitude, I couldn't care less, I killed your mother, that's, you know, it makes it very difficult. doesn't mean they can't forgive, but the feelings of forgiveness are not going to be there. Pastor, we have a call from Bendel's Antigua. Thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question, please. 
Good evening, Dr. Hi, good evening, sir. How are you doing? Yeah. Doing well. What can we do for you tonight? Yeah, Dr. I'm telling you, suppose you, you're going in a church and you, you're you Christian uh-huh. and you love the church you go in there, and, but certain things the pastor preaching, you know, align with it and you know, believing in it. Uh-huh. Is it wrong that to attend that church? What is it wrong to do what? Is it wrong to attend that church? Well, I would say to you that the, the key thing here is is, is, is doctrinal truth. It's, it's a teaching error, quite frankly. I think that would be the key thing. You see, you know, there are pastors who can preach on their pet subjects and deal with different things. The way to deal with things is not the way ordinary pastors. But when it comes to biblical doctrine, and it's clear that it's going against solid biblical doctrine, in my judgment, I think that's a cause to re-examine your association with that church and uh, sit down with the pastor and uh, talk with him and explain to him your 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 you know your offense in terms of the doctrine that what is being taught um if he is adamant that this is what he wants to teach and continue to teach if, if it's disturbing your spirit as a believer you want to go to church and you want to be fed through the word if you when you go to church uh, you're seeing error and error and error again. It's upsetting your spirit. It's going to accept you. It's going to affect your life. I think the time may come where if there's no real change in that area, that a person should make a decision. You can't sit on the error and false teaching. Uh, the Bible says, come out from among them and be separate. So there is a biblical doctrine of separating from brethren who teach biblical error and teach falsehood. Uh, and that is exactly what happened in the Protestant Reformation with Martin Luther and uh, Zwingli and uh, Calvin and stuff like those guys. Those guys did not want to come out of the Catholic Church. They wanted to reform the Catholic Church, but the Catholic Church cannot be reformed. And therefore, because it cannot be reformed or would not be reformed because they're not going to change the doctrine of false teaching, those guys realized that we just can't continue and they broke away and, and founded these different denominations. But it's not that they desired it. But I don't think you should stay in a church if it's clearly teaching of error again and again and again and again. I, I think I would advise a person to find a, a church that uh, teaches biblical truth. Well, what about if they're preaching, they're preaching like repentance from the Bible, they're preaching the good repentance, and you must get saved. But they don't believe in that you can save and lost. Well, look. You believe in speaking in tongues and you don't believe in that. No, well, I, I, well, I don't know. Listen, you, you you gotta before God allow your conscience to dictate. Uh, every person has to di- dictate whatever church to go to. My concern is the preaching of the word. Uh, that's my concern. The other concern would be the support of missionaries. I think that's another key factor when it comes to biblical truth. Uh, uh, what a New Testament church is. Uh, so I, I think those are two two key things with me. And of course, um, evangelism, uh, some kind of evangelism, reaching out to the people, et cetera, et cetera. But there, there are churches, like for example, um, John Wesley. John Wesley was not a Calvinist. A Calvinist is a person who virtually believed that once you're saved, you're always saved. John Wesley was an Arminian. Jo- John Wesley believed that you could be saved and you could be lost. So there, there, there are people in the uh, in, in different that believe that. Uh, and throughout church history, you've got this 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 uh, system. So, but the, the the tongues is another big one. I mean, if you're going to do tongues, as you mentioned there, it, 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 there's a biblical order in which that should be done. If you decide, if you really feel that tongues is legitimate for today, you're going to have it. The Bible says, "Let 
uh, two or three at one time, and there must be an interpreter. If you don't have that order, again, you're going against the Word. You're going against the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit inspired the Word. And to say that a person is speaking under the Spirit and not controlled by the Spirit is, to my mind, is totally ridiculous, quite frankly. It shows you that error has entered into the the, the ministry uh, of that church. So bring that to the attention of the pastor. Go to, go to um, if it's tongues, go to Corinthians chapter 14 and show him what the Holy Spirit gives there to the Apostle Paul for the church as a norm, how, to, how it's to be done. And if it's not being done, it's a clear violation of a biblical principle. And what is happening cannot be of God. As simple as that. Listen, the Holy Spirit will never lead a person against the word that he gave. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, I know. Okay, okay. Okay, my brother. God bless you. And say hi to the wife, please. Thank you very much for your call, Brother Williams. Have a safe and blessed evening and continue to encourage others to tune in to the Lighthouse. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse or broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, and online at www.radiolighthouse.org. For this program, you can also join us on Facebook Live. Go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed, and you can comment your questions right there on your device in the comment section, and they will get passed along to Pastor Murphy in a timely manner. If you would like to call and be put live on the air, the phone line is open and available, and the number to call is 268-462-7420. Don't want to speak live on the air? Not a problem. Send your question via WhatsApp or text message to 268-782-1454. Pastor, why is forgiveness so difficult? Um, one thing I would say that we, while we're talking about this matter, uh, I hope we don't, anybody think they'd be trying to trivialize forgiveness by saying that we have to forgive. Forgiveness really requires courage on a person's part and commitment, and it also requires a very con- a, a conscious effort on their part. Uh, as a matter of fact, I don't know if you would agree with me, but I'll tell you what, it is harder to forgive than to hate. Think about I, that oh, yeah, I, I definitely lot. agree that, with that. Is, so it, it, that is, so we are, but I think the, the real reason why it is, is so difficult, uh, Nathan, is because hurt uh, affects our emotions, and emotions cloud our judgment. Remember I mentioned that when you get hurt, two things happen. The first thing is anger, okay? And the second thing is fear, that if I forgive this person, I'm so angry with them, if I get them, they're going to repeat it again, and et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's why it's difficult. If we can just take the emotional element of it and uh, not allow the emotion to, to gain the ascendancy and begin to cloud our judgment, but I think that's why it is so hurt is very difficult, but the hurt produces the anger, and the anger produces the fear of being hurt again, and it goes through a very vicious cycle uh, by uh, ruminating it again and again. I think that's the reason why it is so so very di- difficult to uh, to forgive. Before that phone call, you were talking about why we should forgive, and you talked about the healthy physical aspect of it. Uh, any other areas that you want to elaborate on before we move on? Well, I, I talked about uh, is a prerequisite for you being forgiven. I, I mentioned there that uh, if it's if you don't forgive, it means that our worship is affected. 
if you look at Matthew 18 and 15 again. Matthew 18, 15 uh-huh. says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou shalt have gained a brother. I think that's very, very clear. That's why we should forgive. In other words, the Lord is saying now, okay, uh, we should forgive, but even we take an initiative. If we, uh, as the Lord says, we know that somebody's the person's holding it against us, the Bible says, uh, you just go and try to resolve the problem. Too often we keep waiting and waiting, and it doesn't happen. The Lord said, you take the initiative. There are cases where you say, uh, the person comes to you. The Bible mentions that. But also in this case when the Bible says you go to the person. And the reason for that that dual play there is because sometimes uh, you may think somebody has something against you. And you might have that in your mind. It's only when you go to them, you might, to your dismay, the person is shocked. Why do you feel that way? But if you don't get that cleared up, you're holding an unforgiving spirit, even if the person doesn't have anything against you. So I think that uh, it's a command that for the conscience sake and to clear the relationship between brethren. That is why we also need uh, to forgive. Uh, the other thing is Matthew 18, again, like we're in verse 21 to 22. Could you read that? Matthew eighteen twenty one and 22. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, How oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him, till seven times? Verse 22, Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times seven, but until seventy times seven. The point I'm making here is that we owe each other unlimited forgiveness. That's why we forgive. Remember we said there's a precondition, don't misunderstand me. But that's one reason we should forgive, that uh, according to Scripture, there's no final straw that warrants withholding forgiveness. Uh, as long as the person uh, has offended and uh, say, I repent, I'm, uh, ask forgiveness, the Bible says we are obligated. So that's another basis that we need uh, to forgive. And then look at Matthew eighteen thirty four and 35. Matthew eighteen thirty four and 35 says, And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Yeah, you notice that he said put him in prison and he's not going to his prison until the... And I think the whole idea there is that if we don't forgive, we become prisoners. And what I mean by that, the person... This is a funny thing. um, The person not losing any sleep. We'll be losing a lot of sleep. Yeah. Right? We are uh, virtually destroying ourselves, and we don't have the, the freedom we have because we feel guilty that we're not forgiven. And, and that's what I think the Lord said, put the person in prison. So I think there's a sense where we don't have the freedom that we should have as believers unless we give forgiveness to that person. Um, Pastor, we have a call from Antigua. Codrington, thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question, please. Yeah, I'm so glad to hear that my name is um, quite enough to know that when I'm, I'm a Carrington and I'm, you don't know me as much as how, you know, I love my mother. Yeah, we, so, we, we um, love you, Carrington. I just want to ask a question. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Yeah, I just want people to know when you hear Carrington call, you know, that what he's about and um, whatever he's um, to do. So, 
I'm, I'm interpreting to you now. Remember when um, Jesus Christ was on hunger and he was um, being tempted by the devil, and then after he being tempted by the devil, no one is finished all those um, temptations. So now, where the Bible said that he was, he was on hunger, and then after he was on hunger, now there was the angels in them come to minister. I don't know how much angels come, but I can recall to know that is um, the head angels um, for God to do his main work for him. When he was on hunger, now um, the angels come to ministers unto him. Where they come to give him the, the, the food of life, where Jesus talked about, he is the bread of life. Uh, they come to give him manna from heaven uh, to restore him back to life because the devil left him on hunger and he was on hunger and so if you can remember all of that and so so um just be a little brief with you and then i will con continue with that so you're wanting to know how did the angels minister to jesus after he was fasting for 40 days Yeah, but Cognition, uh, look, you've got to read the passage of Scripture, and there's no specificity as to what exactly they did to minister to him. We don't too sure if they ministered to him by soothing words, encouraging words during this period of time. We're not too sure whether or not, uh, as the case of in the Old Testament uh, with Elijah, that they had cooked and prepared something for him. We're not given any specifics in terms of what they did. We just told that they ministered to his need in that moment, uh, being hungry and going through all that temptation uh, for forty days and forty nights. Uh, they would have encouraged him with words, and they would have ministered to him spiritually. Uh, just like remember that Christ, though he were God in the flesh, uh, the God Man, he lived as a man. He was tempted as a man, just like Adam was tempted as a man. So the same way angels are called ministering spirits to those who are heirs of eternal life in the book of Hebrews, and the same way we see angels ministering to the saints in the Old Testament, uh, helping them, especially with, with the case of Elijah where he needed to be fed and he was hungry. Uh, uh, in that same way, quite frankly, they now minister to him, and it's possible that they fed him. It's possible that they uh, use words of encouragement. 
but the idea of giving him the bread of life and so on, he himself is the bread of life, and uh, there's no there's no spiritual bread that he needed, but he is living as a man. Uh, he had to be tested as a man because man had sinned and he came to take man's place. So everything that the first Adam went through, uh, he had to go through the same form of same temptation. And you find that the temptation in the case of Adam was the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the world, and the, the, uh, the pride of life. The same thing, you find the temptations there with Jesus, the three, three, those, those three, three temptations. So it's just the ministering to him, spiritually strengthening him for the work of the ministry, just like angels are given in the Old Testament and mentioned in the New Testament that they're helping those who are heirs of eternal life. I don't think uh, we fully understand, as we would see in eternity, uh, how they have ministered to us in this life as well, those who are saints. I think we will discover times when they protected us from danger that we were not even aware of. Uh, I think uh, we are going to discover their ministry in ways that we can never fathom in eternity. Uh, but they are there to minister to us. And I think they minister to him to help him um, in terms of his, 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 his ministry and to encourage him to keep on doing the work that he had come to do. But uh, no need of giving him uh, any kind of bread of life because he himself is a bread of life. Codrington, thank you for your call. Thank you for your question, and have a safe rest of the night. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 8.31. You're listening to That's Truth, a live interactive call-in program to answer your questions. You can call and be put live on the air, 268-462-7420, or you can WhatsApp or text your question to 268-782-1454. We are talking about why we should forgive. The other thing, too, Nathan, is another reason that, you know, I think that when you look at biblical examples, uh, we should be disposed to forgive even those who we don't think deserve it. For example, you take the case of uh, Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Um, I mean, Stephen was stoned. Did he deserve that? But yet Stephen said, Lord, uh, hold not discharge to these people. So I do feel that when you look at these noble uh, characters who were so God conscious and so served the Lord to that extent, they looked. I would. I wouldn't say with tremendous pity and people who, rather than serve the Lord and destroy the Lord's servant, I think they were so uh, compassionate on those who did them wrong that they were willing to forgive. You remember even Christ himself in Luke chapter 23, uh, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. So I think the example we have, um, whether it be Christ or Stephen or other great saints, uh, even those who um, um, don't even deserve our forgiveness, I think we should be disposed, have that desire and that disposition to be willing to forgive. I think that example that is set by these saints uh, is another incentive why we need uh, to forgive. What biblical counsel can we find in Scripture regarding the Christian's response to those that hurt or offend us? Well, since we're dealing with forgiveness, I think that we understand that uh, God expects us as as saints to act differently towards those who have hurt us and and, uh, offended us. I want to use a few verses of Scripture. Uh, For example, one of the things that we are told is that we must not retaliate and uh, look at Proverbs chapter 24 verse 29 that's in the Old Testament you think that still relates to us today biblical principles are unchanging uh, because they reflect the character of God and therefore Old Testament principles that uh, teach some biblical truth are still applicable today Proverbs 24 what verse 29 29 say not 
I will do so to him as he hath done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. Yeah, there's a, uh, I mean, this is Solomon, the wise man. Remember, this God's word inspired all scriptures properly for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction. And here he's telling us, don't do to people what they've done to us. So don't plan to get uh, some kind of revenge. He, he did this, and I just can't wait to get him. So it's warning us about avoiding and forbidding forbidding us to, to the process of retaliation. That is not a way a Christian should be. Then if you look at the New Testament teaching on that, matter Romans chapter 12 verse 17 and 19 Romans 12 17 to 19 says recompense to no man evil for evil provide things honest in the sight of all men if it be possible as much as lieth in you live peaceably with all men dearly beloved avenge not yourselves but rather give place but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So notice two things here. Don't render evil for evil, because somebody has done evil to me. I don't turn around and now do evil to them. Okay, I do good as opposed to evil. And then don't seek vengeance. Uh, rather than seek vengeance, leave God to exercise that vengeance. That's what it means, give place to God's wrath. That's what it's teaching there. So rather than you take the law into your own hand or you take the action, put that person in God's hand and uh, let God deal with that person rather than you retaliate. Uh, and so clearly when it comes to people who hurt us and people who offend us, the biblical mandate to us who are believers that we must not uh retaliate uh, against them the another response is look at Proverbs 24 verse 17 to 19 Proverbs 24 verse 17 to 18 sorry 17 18 the second thing we rejoice not when thine enemy falleth and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth lest the Lord see it and it displease him and he turn away his wrath from him. Again, I mean, don't take pleasure when the person that you has done you wrong, something begins to happen to them now, and you're delighting in the fact, ha-ha, finally, uh, it is happening. And the Bible says, quite frankly, the Lord might look and decide, you know, God is dealing with them. But because of your attitude, he says, God might just turn away his wrath from that person. So don't take delight uh, and rejoicing in your enemy when that enemy falls or something bad happens to your enemy. Again, that's a mandate that's given to us as believers. So we're not to retaliate and we're not to rejoice when our enemy falls or something detrimental happens to our enemy. And what then, about when my enemy loses a war? Let's say my country is at war. Uh, well, that is that is different. You're dealing with something national now. You're dealing with something personal here okay. in the Book of Proverbs. I mean, it's like, for example, people tell you that you shouldn't, uh, you should turn the other cheek. But when it comes to nations, you, uh, that's not what it's teaching. There, it's teaching okay. you're dealing with something personal, and people try to take something personal and transfer it to government. It, it can't happen that way. And remember as well that the commands that are given there in the Beatitudes relates to people who are in the kingdom. The unsaved countries of the world and leaders of the world, they're not believers, so they can't respond that way. And every country has a right to defend its sovereignty. So when a nation attacks another country, a country has a right to defend itself. Uh, so uh, we must not mix these, these things together. So we, we're not supposed to retaliate and we're not supposed to rejoice uh, when our enemies are hurting or when something ill happens to them. Uh, 
But there's another thing that the Bible tells us that we should do uh, instead. Look at Romans twelve fourteen. That says, Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Not an easy verse. No, it's not, but it's, it's telling you to do the very opposite. God expects his people to be uh, so different from the world. And because God's people experience so much forgiveness from God, he wants us almost to be like himself, to reflect him, because he doesn't deal with us as we deserve uh, in his grace and his mercy that's extended to us. And now he's asking us in return, imitate me and demonstrate the same kind of uh, love and affection that I have towards those who have been uh, offended you like they offended me. So the idea is that you need to bless them. Look at First Peter 3, 9. First Peter 3, 9 says, Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. Again, this is something we are called to. This is a this is actually an imperative that we we be given, that we don't render evil for evil, we don't real really for railing, and that we try to to bless. And that's what the believer should try to do. Is is life? People are hurt you, but you try you try to bless. It's, 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 I know everybody says difficult. It's difficult, but again, remember that everything in the Christian life is not easy. And if God asks us to do it, we must ask Him for the grace to enable us to show blessing when somebody's cursing us, kindness when somebody's doing something that's wrong to us. It's something that God requires of us, and He wants us to act differently than the average person would be. And when that happens, by the way, is that it provokes people to think there's something different about this person. And that's the time it comes opportunity for witness and for testimony. We can say to them, you know, I can only do this because of the grace of God, because I'm a Christian, I'm commanded to do it. And that creates an opportunity for witness and perhaps could lead to a person put in the faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Look at one other verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 12 and 13. 1 Corinthians 4, 12 and 13 says, And labor, working with your own hands, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscoring of all things unto this day. Again, that's an example. So what Paul and Peter ask us to do, they're saying that we, the apostles, exhibited this in our lives and we all need examples and encouragement we got the example of Stephen we got the example of Christ and now we got the examples of the apostles that in spite of all the mistreatment all they did was kindness and blessing rather than retaliation and rejoicing when uh, things happened to those who were their enemies Pastor why do you think God gave us the command or the principles that we should forgive our enemies well, there are some things I would say about that. Uh, I think we we need to forgive our enemies. Uh, number one, I think that's the only way that we are ever going to break the cycle of re- uh, retaliation and also the only way that we will ever come to this idea of mutual re- uh, reconciliation. Uh, if you keep tack, tack for tack and hit for hit and, uh, you know, uh, hate for hate, and we'll never, ever... Um, be able to solve and this vicious cycle of uh, retaliation. I think that's one of the things that you do. The other thing is that uh, by forgiving our enemies, 
Uh, there are times when we can, can make our enemies so ashamed that will cause them to change their attitude towards us. Quite frankly, they, they, they find it. You know, this I can't. I can't hold this against this guy because uh, his kindness and his his, his uh, generosity towards me. So I think that's another thing. And then, um, if we don't forgive our enemies and we keep repaying evil for evil, uh, we not only hurt our enemies, but we also hurt in ourselves. So I think that in terms of our own well-being, spiritually before God, I think that's another reason why we need to be able to forgive our enemies. And I would say to you that even when our enemies uh, don't repent, uh, I still think we should have a forgiving spirit. And I do feel that that will free us from the load and the heaviness of the guilt of feeling that we have an unforgiving spirit. So I just think that, uh, you know, we've got to break this cycle of retaliation. We've got to work towards the reconciliation that God talks about. Uh, we want to make our enemies ashamed that it will change their attitude towards us. And it also relieves us as individuals. Pastor, what about the case where you have an abusive husband that keeps asking forgiveness and wants to reconcile with the wife and have the wife come back uh, to live in the same situation? What advice do you have for that uh, wife? Again, I, I'm always towards salvage in a marriage, but I think if there's violence in a marriage, uh, I think there might be need for separation for a period of time and both people get counseling. I will not recommend that a woman continue living in a house where there's violence. Generally speaking, uh, violence is about power, overcoming the person. And uh, kiss and makeup works for a while, but after a while the beating gets, it, it increases. And I, I would advise a person in that situation, uh, try to get some counsel for your husband and for yourself. And if that situation doesn't improve, my next step for the person will be to separate for a period of time to see how sincere the person wants. If he wants to get you back, he would go through a process of of, uh, of, of counseling to try to help him. But that would be my, my recommendation. Uh, I wouldn't recommend immediate divorce, whatever it is, but I would recommend for sure that there be some kind of separation if the violence continues, the abuse continues. The sincerity of the person would only be indicated in change if there is some kind of a separation and really values his wife and really wants her back. Any man that wants a partner back would be willing to do uh, go through a process of change to try to do that. Does that include uh, violence as far or uh, abuse, like verbal abuse, uh, excessive shouting and that kind of thing, or just for physical abuse? No, I think, look, I think physical abuse is, is bad, but I think, um, emotional abuse and uh, verbal abuse I think is just as bad quite frankly I can people's words can hurt you more than even a slap or a cuff uh, a cuff or a slap c- c- could last a, a few minutes and then it goes away but the the deep words that are said sometimes can be very very painful and I think uh, if that is happening again there's nothing wrong not going through the process of divorce, but if you feel that the, the person is so verbally abusive, et cetera, et cetera, that you can't uh, continue the relationship the way it is, there's nothing wrong in a temporary separation. And so that you can process what is happening, he can process what is happening. And meanwhile, uh, both persons can pursue some kind of counseling to bring about some kind of reconciliation to deal with the problem in the matter. A lot of people react the way they do because uh, it's what they've seen happening in their home when they're being brought up. Uh, a, a man that beats his wife, generally speaking, is probably he's seen his dad do that. His dad wasn't a conversationist, and the way to deal with his wife and was to manhandle her. Now, the tr- thing about it, Nathan, he says when he's growing up, I can't believe this. my dad doing it. I'll never do it. But guess what? He gets married. He's not a communicator because his dad 
father didn't teach him that here's where he, he begins to repeat the same thing his father is, is doing and sometimes that has to be dealt with in a counseling session to change uh, behavior but I would, I would recommend if you, it's becoming unbearable and uh, if you've got children in that relationship as well that's becoming so abusive a temporary separation pending change and uh, etc I think would be proper for, for that relationship as well a text message that's just come in uh, very similar to one that we talked about a couple weeks ago good night if it is appointed unto man to die once why is there a belief that some will be raptured and not face death well I am not too sure where the difficulty comes in okay generally God has appointed man to die we know that but the redeemed those who are redeemed God has made a promise to his church that those who put their faith and trust in Christ that there is going to be a generation that's not going to see death and uh, I don't think there's a conflict there whatsoever the sinner who is outside of Jesus Christ is going to die the person who is in, in Christ is promised that there will be a time when the Lord will return and they would not have to die. I don't see where the problem lies there. It's a redeemed sinner that's going to be raptured, not a sinner that's outside of Jesus Christ. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. So I'm not too sure why there should be a problem understanding that, generally speaking, all men are going to die uh, who are not saved. But uh, because of a person putting faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Christ has conquered death, and now by your faith in Him, He has promised you that when He returns, there will be a generation who are alive, who will be changed immediately, and those who are dead will be resurrected. That's the promise. And as I pointed out in a previous program, in the Old Testament, not everybody died. You've got two saints as well who had faith in God that did not die. Enoch was translated. He didn't die before the flood. And you got Elisha, who didn't, Elijah, who didn't die. He was taken up to heaven, etc., etc. So I don't see why there should be a problem. I, I, I think that the thing I point out to you that every New Testament truth has an Old Testament uh, type. And I think that helps to confirm the fact that there's going to be a rapture uh, that the Bible teaches in, in Thessalonians chapter 4. Pastor, we have Nathan on the line from Nevis. Nathan, thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question quickly, please. Yes, good Good evening. Good evening, Brother Nathan. How are you doing? Not too bad. I'm here listening to the program. Okay. Um, I have two portions of Scripture from Genesis chapter 1. First, 4-2. Not not four rather, but six to eight. Uh-huh. Genesis verses six to eight and Genesis fourteen. Okay. That is chapter one, verse fourteen to twenty. Okay. So Genesis, Genesis chapter one six to eight. six to eight. Okay, let me read those and then I'll get the other reference from you. Genesis chapter one verses six through eight says And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and morning were the second day. What's your second passage? 14 to 20. Chapter 1, 14. Okay. Genesis chapter 1, verses 14 through 20 says, 
And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be a sign for a sign and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness. And God said that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. In verse 20, And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life, and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of the heaven. Nathan, I'm not too sure what your concern is, so maybe you can help me. Tell me what, what, what your problem what is. The, what is the firmament? I think um, Psalm chapter 19 and verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. What is the firmament? Well, the firmament is like, like heaven, quite frankly. It's like the, the sky. Uh, the waters under the earth will be the waters in the sea. And as I think, you know, in the atmosphere, you've got water in the form of water vapor. So he separated the, the, the water in planet Earth and the water above, et cetera, et cetera. So that's like the sky. And, and the sky, as you know, is where you, where you get your rain because you've got this, the, the, you know, the, the whole thing about the, con, the, the, um, the sun beating the water, the water rising. It, it comes up in the sky, evaporates, and then eventually it, it condensates and it precipitates and becomes rain. So the, the expanse above would be like the sky, and the which contains water, and also you've got the water in the earth. That's what it would be. And then he starts, after he'd done that, he started decorating it, as you would notice. He put stars, he put the moon, he puts the sun, etc., etc. So he created it first, and then, as it were, he put these uh, to decorate it, as it were, uh, for humankind, for signs and for wonders, and also for, um, um, as he points out, for seasons, etc., etc., so the expanse would be the sky, basically. So the earth then was inundated with water. There was no land. Well, it says you that in the book of Genesis, doesn't it? That the whole earth was without form and form, and water covered the whole earth. And then uh-huh. God started uh, out of that. He then started to develop it, and he, you know, and that, that's where it was chaos at first, and covered with water. And then he starts to create and uh, develop it as he wanted it to be. Now, one of the things I might say here, Nathan, the, the, the way it became chaotic, a lot of people believe, a lot of Bible scholars believe, that's when Satan fell. Because in the book of Isaiah, he said, I did not make the earth without form and without void. But it says the earth became without form and void. So I believe as a result of Satan's fall, that's a result why the, the earth had plum- plummeted into that. But he then starts creating a new earth for humankind to live on, and that's where he has to start put these things in place to create the exact environment that humans can live. Does that help? Okay. Um, in a sense, um, so what were you thinking? You like you? That he made. Uh huh. He also made the sun, the moon, and the stars. And put them in the same firmament. Right, but well, that's like, that's as I said. That's the heavenly heavenly sky, basically. That's where that's where they are today. 
there in the in the the, in the firmament, the, the entire sky area. So then, what was in the form above the firmament? So out in space, in space, uh -huh. there was water. Well, as well as water on the earth. Yeah, but there's water in space right now, but not all o over space. In other words, there's water, a uh, water level. Uh, you know, we got three atmospheres. We got three different heavens. You've got the first heaven, the second heaven, the third heaven. So the, the, the first heaven is where you've got your water vapor, but above that you don't have water vapor. So you do have a canopy of water vapor, as it were, still, even today. That's why we get rain. If we didn't have that, we wouldn't get any rain. You rain, uh, you know, the water goes, you read the book of Ecclesiastes, the water runs, all the water is running to the sea. The sun hits the sea, um, heats the sea. The water rises up as water vapor. It goes up to heaven, etc., etc., and then eventually it will condensate, and eventually it is going to precipitate and, and fall down to earth. The water cycle, but that's how it is. But it is water in the in the heavens, otherwise we wouldn't get rain. But that's that's only in the first heaven. It's not in the second heaven or the third heaven. There are three heavens, as you would know. Three heavens. Yeah, remember in uh, Paul said it was taken in the third heaven in in First Timothy yeah. First right Second uh, First Second Corinthians chapter twelve. So that's the that that is not the atmospheric heaven. That is the where God is, the third heaven. But there is the 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 earthly heaven, as it were, the atmospheric heaven. Then there's the stellar heaven, and there's the heaven where God is. Yes, and also in Revelation, uh, when heaven, um, when Satan was cast out of heaven, uh -huh. it was uh, rejoice over him. Ye earth, and ye that dwell in them. Uh -huh. So then there are more than one heaven have occupants, it seems to me. Yeah, but also you don't forget that in uh, the book of um, the book of Ephesians, we are told that he inhabits the heavenly space places. In other words, Satan a a occupies the atmospheric realm. Right now, he's going to be cast out in Revelation eventually down to earth. And when he comes down, his days will be limited. But right now, that's his activity. Read, read Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, you, you, you read about principalities and powers uh, in, uh, I can't. Ephesians 6 Ephes 12. Yeah, read, read it for me. Yeah, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. In high places. And that word is heavenly places, if you check it in the Greek language, quite frankly. So it's, it's certainly he, he occupies that. Sometimes people think that he's in hell. Satan is not in hell. I mean, that might be John Milton's idea. You read John Milton's book, uh, Paradise Lost, uh, that Satan is the ruler in hell. But, you know, he's, he's not the ruler of hell, quite frankly. That's not where he occupies right now. But one day he'll be cast out of heaven, where he occupies in the, in the atmosphere is heaven, and he'll come down to earth, and his days are limited. That's what the Bible talks about in the book of Revelation. Okay. Okay, my brother. Thanks a lot. You are welcome. God bless you. Thanks for calling. Thank you very much for your call, Nathan. We appreciate it. Pastor, as we wrap up this episode in the last two minutes, does forgiveness absolve us of the consequences of our wrongdoing? What I, what I would surprise people by saying to you that uh, it doesn't mean necessarily because you're forgiven that there are no consequences. For example, you take the case of David. 
when David had sinned with uh, Bathsheba, had the child, etc., etc., the Bible says that David repented and uh, and confessed that he only did it wrong. But uh, again, uh, his child still died. So it doesn't mean because God has forgiven you, you might have set something in train that has consequences even though you're forgiven. Uh, take another example. You remember when David numbered the uh, the people? Uh, David was dependent upon God, but now he's dependent on the army. He wonder how big the army is, and God said, you know, I give you three choices. Give you three choices. And, uh, and again, the Bible says in that same passage in Chronicles that David confessed and tell God, I've sinned. I'm sorry. But what happened? He still had the consequence. 70,000 people in Israel died as a result of David's action. So even though David is confessed and David is forgiven, there's still consequences. You know, it's like a, a guy who um been drinking all of his life. He has chlorosis of the liver. He gets saved. God forgives him. But he doesn't get a new liver. Uh, he's put things in place that has resulted in, in, in consequences, you know. Um, take a, a person who... Um, uh, who has AIDS and they hear the gospel they get saved does that mean because they get saved and God forgives them suddenly that the, the, the AIDS just disappear no there are consequences and there are things as well that God will forgive you that you still have consequences imagine David uh, what the enemy would have thought if God had not taken David's child what kind of a God are you you let a man kill another man take his wife and still you did nothing about it? So I think it would have been a bad testimony for the heathen that D- David had suffered no consequences. God is wise, and God knows what's, what he's doing. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of That's Truth. Be sure that you encourage others to tune into That's Truth, whether it be in your workplace, in your home, or maybe your neighbors, or someone that you see at the grocery store. Encourage them to tune in next Tuesday evening at 7.30 p.m. for That's Truth. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth. Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.